Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Howard the Duck. Sebastian and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. And we are welcoming back to the podcast Josh Miller. Woo! Hello. Yay. Happy to be back talking about more wonderful cinema. <laughs> That's right. We needed you for this movie and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, for those who don't know, Josh is one of the hosts or now the only host of Friday Night Frights, LA's premiere horror you're still there in spirit i'm still there in spirit <laughs> but it's uh definitely la's premier horror screening series uh he's also a co-host of best movies never made which is a really awesome podcast about all those uh movies that uh didn't get made i recently was listening to some of the james bond ones because i was into james bond the really good comprehensive uh set of episodes about that and he is one of the co-screenwriters of the movie the hit film Sonic the Hedgehog, Woo! Uh, a, another film about a cartoon character that <laughs> yeah. an anamorphic creature from another dimension that comes into our realm, um, a more successful version than this film, <laughs> I would say. So we wanted your unique insight into this kind of amazingly awesome fucked up movie, which is Howard the Duck. Woo! And I will say... Just to interject there, uh, when we were working on Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, initially like breaking the story down, my, my writing partner, Pat Casey, and I would keep referencing Howard the Duck, not necessarily in a sense of like, we wanted the movie to be like it, <laughs> but our director, Jeff Fowler, like that made him just so... I guess, superstitiously paranoid. Uh -huh. He was like, you guys have to stop referencing Howard the Duck. Well, and his name is Fowler, too. That's <laughs> <Yes>, true. <laughs> Here come the puns. <laughs> yeah, that was the Voldemort of our writer's room. It was That was the movie that cannot be named. Yes. I can kind of see why. I mean, it is sort of the, you know, poster child for this sort of thing going terribly wrong and in a big way pitfall you thankfully avoided but uh 
I mean, this is a weird, weird fucking movie. <laughs> um, now, are you familiar, Josh, at all? Were you familiar with the Howard the Duck uh, comic book character, the Marvel character? I mean, I, more a little more now. What the age I was when this came out, uh, I, I had no idea of the comics, and I remember like, because I feel like this was a movie. I don't remember what station it would have been on if it was HBO. Or I didn't have HBO when I was a kid, but I felt like this was a movie that was on TV a lot. Yeah. And at some point, when I noticed the based on the Marvel comics credit, you know, I think like a lot of people who are only tangentially into comics. I thought of comics as superheroes. Yeah. So I, I was very confused by like, how is this movie based on a comic book? Well, I was a um, comic book reader uh, in the 70s and early 80s, the late 70s and early 80s. And Howard the Duck would appear in Marvel Comics semi-regularly. And I was not into Howard the <laughs> Duck. <laughs> I, whenever he would show up in like Spider-Man or something, I'd be like, Oh, it's going to be a Howard the Duck issue because <laughs> I just didn't jibe with that whole sort of idea. Howard the Duck was created by a guy named Steve Gerber. I don't want to say it's sort of like a post hippie kind of thing. You know, I feel like he kind of grew out of um, uh, what's the guy who liked to draw the big butts. I was going to say the crumbs Fritz the cat. Yeah. Like that kind of. Yes. Yeah, he was sort of like the kind of more sanitized for the kids sort of idea. Obviously, he, you know, drew from Donald Duck and stuff. But I mean, the way he's depicted in the comics, which I'm sure you're aware of, is, he's, you know, he's always has a cigar and he's got like a trilby hat or whatever. He kind of looks like a news reporter or something like. Well, and the few issues of his own comic, like I'm actually more familiar with his own comics than like when he would appear in uh, other Marvel comics. And I always got kind of, yeah, like a, a Fritz the Cat sort of, almost with a little bit of Cerebus the Aardvark of kind totally. of going for that like kind of hip indie comic vibe. Because I, I just remember one of the few issues I ever saw that like was much like how Cerebus initially started, was almost kind of like a Conan the Barbarian sort of story where he found himself in having to rescue a princess or, yeah. you know... And the kind of thing where it was, I'm sure, meant to be subversive at the time, but it gave me the vibe reading it, you know, 30 years later, like when you read an old Mad magazine and you were like, this people would ban this from schools? Like, yeah. <laughs> now this magazine just seems like so G-rated and like cute. To what extent Howard ever really was that edgy, I don't know. I just know that like some older comics fans, like that was their jam. He definitely has a fan base of like older dudes who are probably teenagers in the 70s, a generation older or half generation older than me. Now, Jen, were you aware at all of Howard the Duck before the movie? Not at all. The movie was your first exposure to Howard. Yes, and Howard was um, on TV a lot. As Josh had mentioned, I, I think I saw him on HBO quite a bit, but I also recall renting um the VHS from the video store. I can picture the cover perfectly. That was my first introduction to him, though. I, I had no idea about the Marvel connection when I first saw it. I don't remember if I saw this in the theater, uh, and we, we can get to it when we're talking about the movie, but it, it was a movie that I actually saw a lot. Like, it was just one of those movies that I felt I just saw a zillion times, whether it was beginning to end or just, like, watching some random chunk of it. 
Same here. Well, I I can proudly boast that I did see it in the theater. <laughs> upon it's, it's run. It's funny because it's hard for me to place exactly. I mean, obviously, it was in 1986 when the movie came out, which, you know, makes me a teenager. I don't, like, consciously remember deciding to go to Howard the Duck. And I don't remember... If I must have gone with my friends, that would have been at the time when I'd be seeing movies with my friends and not my parents. But I definitely remember seeing it. I mean, how can you forget? I remember actually not hating it when I saw it. Like, I, I mean, it was like one of those experiences where you're old enough to know that what you're watching is like probably objectively bad. And the humor is not really landing or whatever, but I just kind of appreciated the fact that it was this crazy movie with a like little person in a duck suit. Maybe I was high or something. I don't know. I can't remember, <laughs> but I remember not hating it, you know, sort of sitting there the whole time with sort of a bemused smirk, you know, not quite sophisticated enough to know like what a holy fucking shit so bad it's good experiences, but at the same time recognizing that this was not probably anybody's idea of a good movie, but it kind of was my idea of a good time. I, I was just going to say, I agree with Josh. Like I saw this a lot, like between seeing it on TV and renting it and I mean, I, I, I assume I, I liked it because I watched it or just it was on or whatever. Or like, I, I, I don't know if I saw it all the way through all the time, like same as Josh, like, you know, just would catch bits of it here and there. But I felt like I was pretty familiar with it. And then watching it today, I was like, I don't remember so <laughs> much of this. Like, it was just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if a lot of it was maybe going over my head. I mean, there's some some things, and we'll get into it. There's some things that I definitely did remember, but then there was other parts that I was just like, what the heck? Like, yeah, I realized, because yeah. I watched it a zillion times as a kid, and like so many movies I feel you watch as a kid, at some point you burn out, and then you essentially just never watch it again, because yes. it's kind of like you have yeah. it memorized. And then I've seen it twice in adulthood, and the first time I watched it in adulthood, it was very disappointing, because I convinced other people to watch <laughs> oh, it. No. Because my memory of it was, I was under the assumption that this was going to be one of those things where, like, they'd never seen it and they heard it was bad. And not like I thought it was going to be good, like, The Shining good or something. <laughs> right? but, I, but I was just like, I was like, this movie is going to deliver. Uh -huh. uh, and I was not prepared for the fact that it's actually very poorly paced yeah. in a lot of parts. Yeah. So then watching it now for the podcast, though, I, I kind of inverted on that and reappreciated it when I didn't have that just overwhelming feeling of everyone I'd made watch it just being like, why are you making us watch this? Which by the way, used to happen to me a lot during the DVD era. <laughs> uh -huh. I made people watch like Fantasia and the dark crystal, both of which are great movies, yes. but those are other ones where people are just like, why are we, this is so boring. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm sorry. This was not a good, like let's drink beer and watch at 11 PM. <laughs> on a Saturday movie. <laughs> but I would argue this movie is, I would say- Yes, yes. I, yeah, yes. yeah. If anything, I think this movie is imminently watchable. Like once you put it on, you kind of don't want to take it off. Now, at the time, you guys probably don't remember, or maybe you do, but sort of the big marketing push for this was, you know, from George Lucas. You know, yeah. his name was all over the promotional materials. Although, you know, I don't, really know how much he had to do with it but um jen you did a little research on it didn't you i well i did about the writers um right. I, i'm not sure george lucas's and how much well he was the involved. writers like a, it's what william hayek 
and Gloria Katz. Yeah. yeah, they're from like the Lucas stable. Yes, they did. They and that might be because um, they did uh, American Graffiti. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the films they're known for. And then they also um, they were they were husband and wife and they also did um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And they and but but, but what was the most interesting to me was yeah i know what you're gonna say right that they were the they were the writers of messiah of evil is that what you're gonna is that, i think they di- i think they directed that as well i think they right. wrote and directed messiah of evil yeah and um you know had some small parts in it as well like um the gloria did at, at least but yeah i was like whoa that's yeah that's something because they did that and then then they did american graffiti the same year actually 1973 so that's kind of an awesome like a group of movies to be involved right? with, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I think so too. No, I think it's awesome. What a career. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then to exactly. And, and I, I love Temple of Doom. I do and, too. I mean, I have love for this film too. So if I was a writer, I would have been stoked. This was my filmography that I was attached to. <laughs> Dizzying highs and terrifying lows. <laughs> This is the exact kind of movie I would love, and I don't know if there is one out there, uh, but I would love to watch one of those like old school DVD, like feature length, talking head, you know, behind the scenes documentaries mm-hmm. on. Totally. Um, I mean, obviously, it's an interesting story, and I don't think it was like a disaster or something like Super Mario Brothers, where just everything was going wrong. It yeah. actually feels like a movie where mostly things were going right. It was just kind of certain aspects of it were maybe ill-conceived from the get-go, but because they had the George Lucas's name to slap on it, just no one was asking the right kinds of questions. Yeah. A phenomenon that has had continued through through the prequels, really. But I would be curious just like, like coming off the comics and, you know, it's not like no movies were based on comics back then. There were still plenty of examples, but... Uh, it was definitely not like now. We're just like I feel like as long as something's based on a comic book uh, that one person bought, like you can kind of get someone at some studio excited about it. Yeah. At the time, I, I don't know that anyone more than I feel like they would be judging it based on its content. Not that we can be like, oh, we can say from Marvel Comics. Yeah. Uh, just what it was about this idea and the movie it's going for. Because the one area I do feel it is a uh, just objective failure, whether or not we subjectively enjoy watching it, is that it falls into that kind of ratings limbo of like, who was this for yes. age-wise? Yes. Because yes. like so many 80s movies and why being a kid in the 80s who have parents that like don't care what you watch was amazing. Yes. Because <laughs> there were so many movies in the 80s aimed at adults that were like too stupid and goofy for adults to like, so most of them were bombs, uh-huh. but all the kids who saw them loved them, and then they became like cult classics. And that's exactly what this movie is. It's like so like weird and doofy. But then there's like naked duck. Oh yeah, yes. we need to we need to talk about it. We need to talk about all of this. All of it because it it just goes through the whole movie. Oh, it's not man. just like a little bit here and there. You're like, no, this goes through the whole movie. Why even? I'm just looking at my notes here. And at some point, it looks like about a third of the movie I wrote, a very horny movie, yes. but like, but like twelve-year-old horny. Yes, 
Like a bunch of horny 12-year-old boys wrote this movie is what it feels like. Who somehow thought they'd get laid if they were a duck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if I was a duck. Pulling all the chicks. So uh, the movie starts out, we, we basically start off in Duck World, which I don't think is named right away. But um, it was sort of shocking to me. We were introduced to Howard coming home from a hard day at work. And we're sort of like panning around the room uh, back to the future style, <laughs> you know, where we're getting, which interestingly enough, because of the Leah Thompson connection, if you go to IMDb, there's a picture of Back to the Future on Howard <laughs> the Duck's page, like because they came out so close together. And I think I think there's some weird similarities here. But anyway, yes. we get this sort of panning shot and, you know, we get all these duck jokes, which there are many and many. Oh, so uh, good. So many <laughs> dumb duck jokes in this movie, but it's one of its features. It is not a bug, I would argue. Um, we get like made nest and WC fowls, <laughs> yeah, and my little chickadee, and like uh, breeders of the lost stork. Yes, um, Indiana Jones. Indiana riff. Jones. Yeah. Now I really enjoyed the picture of like Howard as like a hippie. Yeah. So like, are we are we to assume that like he had been kind of like a long gone daddy o duck at one point? And... Well, and the that kind of like I guess a multiverse sort of implication that duck planet followed the exact yes. <laughs> same beats of earth history but just with ducks like the end yeah. of the tim burton planet of the apes yeah <laughs> yes like they, there they was a hippies. george Washington duck or yes. whatever yeah. who just who looked exactly like george washington and and a george luke duck right and steven spiel duck uh, who made the Indiana Jones movie? It's so dumb, but I am just laughing. It's just well, you know, now that we're it. saying this out loud, I'm actually feel like an idiot that it didn't dawn on me before. It's like one of my all time favorite shows growing up, and actually, some of the few comic books I did read at that age uh, was DuckTales and the old Carl Barks, like Donald Duck, yeah, Scrooge McDuck comics, yeah, and clearly that was. Part of why I must have liked this is I just liked the whole idea of a duck civilization. Did they do that with those comments? I didn't read those. So was it like a whole duck civilization? (laughs) Well, it's like it's actually kind of weird because in Duckburg, it was more the naming (laughs) convention where everything was that. But it it was a civilization of birds. But then there was also like dog people. Okay, yeah, of course, because his butler, who's named Duckworth, not Dogworth, but he was like a dog. It's a little confusing species wise. (laughs) That's very confusing. It's a fun introduction to the character. But I mean, right away, we get into the weird sex stuff. There's not one, but two. Like within the first like four minutes of this movie, we get like two different naked topless duck women. Like he's reading play duck and he's like scratching his balls at one point. Yeah. Well, and we also get like this. Don't forget, like we get, he's checking his uh, answering machine, and we get like the sexy call from. Right. Like, oh yeah. The, the, Why don't you come over and I'll show you and all this, and it's just like. Yeah, like I had a dream about you or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So I mean, it's like right off the bat, it's sort of like throwing down this mission statement of like we're gonna make you feel weird with duck <laughs> sex. I do think that is. Well, I can't, you know, I can't imagine Marvel Comics had any, like, 
nudity in them. No. Just with the comic. But I, I do think that, that that was trying to be true to the kind of, the sort of... Uh, irreverent spirit or yeah whatever. and as you're saying they kind of watered down our crumb that the comics were going for i mean i don't recall if i ever read a comic where it had any sort of this like innuendo-y stuff in it this does not feel like it's coming from the comics and like honestly the character of howard as he's presented in this movie is not really accurate to the comics in any way he doesn't really look like him i mean he's kind of got his attitude but he's not wearing the same clothes they dress him all up in these sort of 80s fashions throughout this whole movie his, the design of him he's got this sort of like pompadour he's not wearing a hat so i mean the whole the design of him is totally different he's really just kind of howard the duck in name only i mean he kind of has the same sort of attitude i guess a little bit of the attitude but i do think the voice casting like you know, I feel like when you look at like Seth Green, I think actually was a good choice for his cameo at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy because I feel like like so looking at some of the comics, and again, it's been a long time since I've looked at them, but I kind of got the and this was before Guardians came out, so I wasn't thinking Seth Green, but I almost pictured him sounding kind of like like a Danny DeVito totally. or something, yeah. where he was meant to kind of because he was always like cigar chomping. Yes, and, he's like Louis De Palma in Taxi. You know, yeah. exactly. It's like that character. That's how he sort of is in the comics. And here he's more like a cool, slick guy. He's like more of a yuppie almost. Well, and that's uh, maybe before we even get into the movie, like just talking about the cast of this was something that really I was thinking a lot and jumped out to me watching now. But the Howard guy specifically, I looked this up because I'm like, who is this guy? Like, He doesn't sound like anybody. And he was like some famous Broadway dude. The guy doing his voice. Yeah, like right after he did this, he went on to originate a lead role in um, Sondheim's. Wait, Sondheimer who into the into the woods? They oh, just really? made the movie. Yeah. But he played the James Corden character from the movie, who's kind of the central figure. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, it's just it's it's because now I feel like this would have for sure be it would be like Will Ferrell or Kevin Hart or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. They would want that name they could tack on. Or actually, you know what? I take that back because we didn't do that with Sonic and the studio really wanted us to. I don't, I say us as though I had any say in it, but like our director fought really hard for Ben Schwartz because Ben Schwartz, they got to be in like a proof of concept we did. And we just thought it was so perfect. And you know, uh, yeah, it's a studio will. I don't want to like throw him under the bus like they hated Ben Schwartz, but it's definitely like when you kind of get to that stage, it's like, well, that was just a proof of concept. What big celebrity are we going to get right. to do the voice? And, you know, to their credit, eventually they was like, well, no one's going to be better than him. And it, it served well that he had the proof of concept so they could hear him. And also he's on he's on the new DuckTales. Right. He's on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Obviously, people loved him from Parks and Rec. Yeah, uh, he has a proven track record of being lovable and hilarious. I think that's something that really works in Sonic's favor because I get pulled out of it when you've got Will Ferrell or whatever. I want to buy into, you know, this character. So like, I don't want the big celebrity name. I know it's, I guess, more marketable or whatever. But to me, a guy like Ben, uh, it's Ben Schwartz, right? Yeah, that's like the perfect level. Like, give me somebody who's been in 
sitcoms or whatever who I like and know. So I, so, so I can recognize him and go, oh, cool, it's that guy, but not so much that I think about it the whole time. Agreed. But they should have gotten Danny DeVito. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Danny DeVito would have, been a, would have been a step up from this guy. And I feel bad that we can't remember his name. He has a really kind of hard-to-remember name. But, he, I mean, he does a fine job. Uh, yeah, he's good. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to – I wrote it down. Chip Zine or Zian. No, he's got. I think they chose him because they're like he's got kind of a fun, cartoony, yeah, sort of voice. He doesn't just sound like a guy. So anyway, like we get this introduction to Duck World, but it's very brief. It was sort of shocking to me how brief this is. This is like literally three minutes or something, not even of setup, and then a boom tube opens up and sucks. Uh, Howard through his apartment building so we get hilarious shots of him going through all the neighbors or whatever you got the old couple like what was that dear whatever but yeah. most <laughs> shockingly <laughs> he goes through the bathroom of a wom- a duck woman in the bathtub and we get full duck upper nudity duck boobs it's shocking it's, v- it's very uh I feel like as a kid, I was just like, ha, 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 ha. Uh-huh. Now watching it now for whatever. I, now I'm actually kind of like, ew. Yeah. Like it's just sort of, <laughs> there's something a little disquieting about having to look at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a, a kid, well, I think at the time, like, especially in the 80s, like, that was just so common. That's why we were like, you know, you would just like that. You'd laugh and be like, ah, boobs. You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. how, that was the yeah. reaction then. But yeah, now it's like, Whoa! <laughs> like, what is what? What is yeah. this? What is this? What is this? And again, I was I was trying to imagine like what if Sonic the Hedgehog had begun with him on his hedgehog <laughs> planet, and we just see some topless hedgehog girl. Yeah. Uh, what is this rated? It probably was PG thirteen. It was definitely after the PG. No, it's PG. Rating. I'm looking at it right now. Wow. Okay. It's PG. Okay. <laughs> wow. Blowing my. But that mind. was the time. I mean, that was PG boobs. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure the MPAA also was just like, well, they're not real boobs. They're duck they're boobs. Ducks. Except ducks don't have boobs, which is the <laughs> no, thing that yeah. really that really boils your mind as an adult. Like as a kid, you just kind of roll with the anthropomorphic thing. But it's like it's a little sh- it's something about like, your logical adult brain, I think, chafes with this way worse than your child brain did. Yeah. So, I mean, Howard is immediately sucked into space by this sort of boom tubey thing. And there's no explanation given at this point in the movie. I mean, this is like we're in three minutes and then we're out of duck world. And it's kind of like it speaks to what you were saying about the pacing of this movie being all over the place, because it's like he could have spent like 10 minutes in duck world. Like, <laughs> yeah. We definitely don't learn anything about Howard other than he's a ladies man. Yeah, we never really learned anything. I mean, we get a little more later when he and like um, Leia Thompson or Beverly are having kind of a heart to heart later. But that's that's really it. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. But anyway, so like Howard gets sucked into into this boob tube, boob duck boob, boob tube, tube through space, <laughs> tube. and then he ends up landing in Cleveland which is pretty funny. I mean, I think, doesn't the word Cleveland have something to do with ducks in some way? I think it does. I think that's why that, they I chose Cleveland. But this was, I feel this was during an era where Cleveland was really funny too. Right. Like Major League took place there mm-hmm. and the Drew Carey show in the 90s. Was it because like, oh, Cleveland's so lame or something? Is that yeah, why? or I think it was because this was coming off the era, 
you know, like Randy Newman has a whole song from one of his albums about the river in Cleveland that just burst into flames uh-huh. because <laughs> it was so polluted. So I think it was kind of the idea, like, you know, Detroit would kind of get used yeah. for the same way that it's just like a dump, but less ex- less exciting than Detroit because Detroit right. at least seems like dangerous and kind of cool because Motown was there and all the auto plants. Cleveland's just kind of like, hey, it's Cleveland. Yeah. Is that why the is it is it the Drew Carey show that had like the song was like Cleveland Rocks? Cleveland yeah. Rocks. Yeah, is that yeah. okay? Cleveland Rocks. Because I, I think Drew Carey is from Cleveland, so that was kind of like uh, taking it back, Cleveland pride. Well, in the world of Howard the Duck, Cleveland seems pretty crime ridden, and the perpetrators of most of the crime seem to be punk rockers, <laughs> hilariously <laughs> was cartoonish eighties <laughs> yeah. punk rockers. They're especially cartoonish here. Like if you compare these cartoonishly evil punk rockers to say Death Wish Three or something, yeah. they're like super sanitized. Like their their punk rock outfits are like perfect. The rips are all in the perfect places. Yeah. Again, as a kid, you don't think about it because that's just you're like, oh, they're hooligans. Yeah. But then as I got older and really thought about it, I'm like, well, they're dressed like punks who are going to a concert. Yeah. I don't even if those people did go out and mug people, I don't know that anyone would ever be like, I'm going to spend 55 minutes putting my hair into a mohawk (laughs) and putting on like makeup and my favorite like leather jacket to go skulk around and rob people. Yes. No, I guarantee it never happened, not even once. <laughs> I think usually when you're a mugger too, you want to make it hard to identify right. you later. Yes. <laughs> you, you don't want so something maybe to be like, don't do the pink mohawk. Yeah, they had a bright pink mohawk. Uh, that enough said. Yeah. So like Howard gets basically pushed around the street a little bit. I was sort of kept expecting there to be more sort of duck out of water comedy but like it kind of doesn't <laughs> go there that m- many times you wouldn't think it, it does go there but not as many times as you would think um so he kind of gets like just pushed around the street and he ends they end up like taking him into a punk club as a part of like their mugging <laughs> process they're like oh let's grab this duck guy as one does yeah and you just bring him into the club with you. Well, and they give him to like one of their crew who doesn't look punk at all, and they're like, "Look, we finally got you a date." And he, like, <laughs> oh, they, right. like shove him onto him, and he's like, "Ah!" And then like the bouncer's like, "I know that's a kid. Get out of here." I'd be kind of lying if I didn't say this comedy worked for me a little bit. And I mean, there, there's, and this is you know less uh, sensitive of a point, but I do one thing I noticed watching the movie this time is a lot of the physical comedy is based around put a little person in a suit and sort of toss them around. I don't think this would happen. (laughs) This wouldn't happen now for many reasons. For many reasons. Howard Howard was played by a whole bunch of different people throughout the movie. So it wasn't just one poor person being abused in that duck suit. But the duck suit is is kind of amazing. I mean... The expressions he makes are really good. And That's I, great. Yep. Yeah. Like, and it's one of the reasons I would actually, I, I, I think it's hard to really call this movie bad in the truest sense. Cause that is kind of what I was saying, watching it now again, after my previous time where I was more focusing on how not amazing my friends <laughs> thought it was, but like, the special effects are just so good yeah. and coupled with what a just kind of inherently bad decision this was to make as a really expensive movie. It's like those things 
combined, I'm just kind of like, this it's kind of insane and amazing that this movie exists. Because, yeah, this suit is fantastic. Yeah. Certain points where I really don't know how they did it. Because, like, I was actually just editing together for Friday Night Fright Show some behind-the-scenes footage of the Chucky puppet from Child's Play. And granted, in a lot of those shots, there isn't anybody inside it, so it's a full puppet. But it's like, this was an era where animatronics, you know, the, all the behind-the-scenes is when the camera pulls back and there's just, like, eight dudes yeah. and a million cables. But, like, they clearly had this thing up with remote controls where the face could move where he's just walking around in full shots. And it still looks really good. I mean, granted, granted this is George Lucas flexing his, like, ILM muscles of this, this movie's sure. the number one priority, guys. But, like, the, even the whole opening, all that planet, and just, like, the stuff out in space, and then not to jump ahead, but, like, some of the Phil Tippett uh, stop-motion stuff at the end, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is very impressive special effects for sure for sure and i think you're absolutely right that there had to have been some sort of uh, remote control because i specifically was watching for that like scenes where he would start to talk and then turn around and i was like okay there's no way they had him wired in because you would have seen it you know and there this was you know before the days you could cgi out things so it's pretty amazing. I think it's a really impressive special effect. And it holds up well to close-ups, yep. too, yeah. which certain things often don't. Uh, even like Chucky, which is works well because he's supposed to be made of plastic. But, you know, as he's sort of slowly turning more human in the, the first movie, you know, yeah. the shots where like you get really close up and you're like, that doesn't hold up great to an extreme close up, especially when you're watching it on like a Blu-ray now. I mean, I don't know if he was made out of real feathers, the Howard mask, like the feather part, but just like, it just looks good. And the way the lips move are pretty subtle, actually. I mean, it's simple because it's a beak. It's not like he has to articulate super realistic lip but movements. They get but... some sort of expressions out of it, though. It's not always like a static beak. Yeah, it's it's not just like snapping open and closed like Planet of the Apes. Or right. Whatever. No, it's, it's impressive. And he's just super, he's super cute. He's just cute. I mean, I, I just love the way he looks. <laughs> like I do. I love his little, little tail feathers out of like the back of his like pants. He's <laughs> just, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. He's just... He's adorable, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think they did a wonderful job. I think it's like his, you get a lot of expressions, and I think he looks great. You know who else thinks he's adorable is our heroine, <laughs> Leah Thompson. Oh, my God. Who sings for the band Cherry Bomb, which is a really unoriginal name, considering it was the hit of the biggest hit of The Runaways. Yeah. Like, yeah. why not just call the band The Runaways if you're going to be that lazy about it? I, was, I looked it up, uh, and that is her singing. Oh, is it? Cool. Yeah. She's got a good voice. Not like it was so amazing that I was like, oh my God, but I just, I don't know, it was good enough that I, I always take it for granted in any movie, especially movies like this era, that it's just going to be horrible lip sync. Yeah. And I was like, I, that's why I looked it up because I'm like, oh, is her, her lip syncing is really good. Yeah. It also said that she got the, um, the guitar as well. Like she got to keep it and she still like, oh, nice. Plays, plays it every oh, now wow. and again. Yeah. You know what? That makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> that I like to imagine that you're over at Leah Thompson's house and she's got that hanging up. And like, oh, and she's like, this is the guitar from Howard the Duck. <laughs> it make me fall in love with her even more. She's amazing in this. Her hair is like huge and awesome. Oh, it's very and- crimped. So crimped. She totally passes as like a 
new wave rocker chick, like a cartoonish one, like, you know, gem in the holograms type of version. Before moving on with the the inevitable uh, weirdness of their relationship. The other thing I was really thinking about again now watching it and the cast is like, you know, Tim Robbins, that's like a fun example of like that. Tim Robbins was nobody. You know, he was yeah. just some new wacky guy that they're like, oh, he's like a thousand feet tall and looks like a Muppet. He'll be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. but I was thinking about the fact like Leah Thompson made this movie after Back to the Future came out. Again, it's the power of George Lucas that she's like, I'm going to use my Back to the Future juice right. to, to do <laughs> Howard the Duck. And then I was also thinking about the fact that Jeffrey Jones did this after he was getting nominated for like, I don't think he got nominated for an Oscar. He got nominated for a golden globe, but for Amadeus, which like, I mean, I know a lot, like as a kid, I thought of him always as the guy from Howard the duck yeah. and uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, Ferris Bueller's day off and Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like, no, but like as an adult and like learning his real history was like, he was a 20 nominated like stage guy who was then put in Amadeus and got great reviews. So he was using his, I'm a golden globe nominated dramatic actor juice to devour the duck. Uh, it's just so crazy, clearly, what everyone thought this movie was going to be. And I I've, I've, think I've realized over the years, thinking about it too, what it really is. Because it's always like, how do movies like this get made? It's because everyone thought Star Wars was going to fail. Right. You know, there's so many famous stories of all this, you know, like that the Fox, like, laughingly gave him the rights to merchandising when he waved his director's fee like jokes on you dummy we're gonna save fifty thousand dollars here (laughs) you can have all the you know so i think it was after that movie blew up so big they had to make everyone so self-conscious when george lucas pitched you something yeah because i bet they looked at howard the duck and they were probably like this doesn't seem like a good idea who's gonna see like this looks stupid but they're like but it's george this could be the new star wars (laughs) Here's all the money Can you, you imagine want. if we were living in a reality where this was even bigger than Star Wars and like Howard the Duck was like oh a franchise. God. I'm just thinking of J.J. Abrams rebooting it now and everyone bitching about which was better this or George Lucas's <laughs> horrible Howard the Duck prequels. <laughs> well, I found out just uh, I was looking also regarding his involvement, George Lucas's involvement, wanting to adapt this went back to American Graffiti Times, which makes yeah. sense because he had the writers on that too. But they were talking about it back in like 70. So they were all smoking weed on the set of American Graffiti and be like, hey, have you ever read Howard yeah. the Duck? That would be a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, the comic must have just seemed real cool then or something. Well, I mean, I think it's for them. Like if you were saying, you know, is what Sebastian was saying, like, you know, as, as far as like who this was for or who would be into it or who would think Howard the Duck was cool. It's though that age. It's the like yeah. boomers, you know, this is true. So Bever- Leah Thompson plays Beverly and she uh, thinks Howard is pretty cool because she gets attacked by punkers outside the, the club as you do. And then Howard <laughs> comes to her rescue and he saves her with his quack foo. <laughs> <laughs> I I, I I do not get tired. Uh, I I love no, I either. love puns so much, and poor Sebastian just has to deal with it all the time. Well, that's why I can't believe I didn't make the Ducktales connection because I'm like it's literally the same thing. It's just adding the word duck to anything. Well, they they branch out a little bit into all sorts of birds, but it pretty much yeah. sticks with ducks. 
Um, so they good. really nail that one home over and over and over. <laughs> and I'm delighted every time. So this is sort of the beginning of their meet cute. And like right away, even out while they're out in this like rainy street set or whatever, you know, they're kind of giving each other looks <laughs> and like Howard saves Beverly and he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to stay out here in the the rain. And she sort of got her umbrella and she, she keeps glancing over at him and he keeps <laughs> glancing back at her. They're definitely setting up this as a romance. Like that is 100% the intention of the writers or whatever. But at the same time, the movie is also desperately terrified <laughs> to not go there. <laughs> yeah. So you're sort of trapped in this weird struggle of will they or won't they in a situation <laughs> where you're like, please don't let them. <laughs> it's like the opposite of Sam and Diane and Cheers. It's like a Ross and Rachel and friends. It's like, please no. But in some ways I wanted it. Once you see that they're hinting at it, you do want it. In the sense that you're like, are they really going <laughs> to have her hook up with Howard? I mean, the whole everyone's reaction to him in the movie is so strange because people are like, oh, that's weird. A duck yeah. rather than like being horrified. <laughs> like they're acknowledging that it's unusual, but people are so get over it so quickly i feel like though and i mean this you know applies to sonic too is like i feel like when you're dealing with a movie like this at some point like i mean if you saw sonic the hedgehog in real life you'd be like oh my god my brain is shattered this thing should not exist <laughs> yeah. like you know it's kind of like it, it's that leap of faith you have to take with all these types of movies because like really if you saw a duck human you'd be freaked out you wouldn't know what to think in our defense, in Sonic, James Marsden screams and shoots Sonic. That's true, yes. With a, uh, the gun he was holding. <laughs> and there is, there, like, the people who meet Howard throughout the film, like, through Beverly or whatever, they have the reaction you're talking about. But there's also, like, there's scenes later where he's, like, I think when he, you know, we'll get to it, but when he's going to the museum or whatever, he, like, passes some lady on the stairs and she's like, Mom! Like, she doesn't know what to do. Like, there, there is some, like, legit freak That's outs. That's true. I feel for the most part, they're reacting to him as though they saw somebody wearing, like, a silly duck costume. Yes. We were just kind of looking at him like, what is up with this guy? It's definitely not consistent. Everybody kind of has a different approach to him. Some people are like, oh, he's a duck guy. Some people are like, oh, my God. And, yeah, some people think he's wearing a costume. And, yeah. and uh, in this movie's defense, even though... James Marsden and Jim Carrey both scream when we see him. We also have later where he's just like wearing a cowboy hat and somehow that's enough for people to just be like, you look weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the fun of these things. You know, yeah. you, know, you don't yeah. want to turn this into an HP Lovecraft. Oh, my brain is shattered by this vision, nightmare's vision. At some point you want to start having a good time. Yeah. And I'm having a good time with Howard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beverly takes Howard back to her cool loft space and, you know, they bond and uh, she gets him, a, goes to get him a drink and he's like, I want a beer. And so he's a beer swilling duck. And then this is where we have a little bit of more of Howard backstory because we find out he was a musician because, you know, he starts playing her synthesizer or whatever. Now he's got to be a boring <laughs> advertising executive, <laughs> um, which is such a sort of 80s 
like career yeah. trap to fall into. <laughs> it was like, oh man, I don't, I'm, if I don't do something, I'm going to end up in advertising. <laughs> Fear of becoming a yuppie. Yeah. And, and um, Beverly's like, oh, so you, you kind of sold out. Yes. He's a sellout. Yeah. Which, you know, they set this up as, you know, this is sort of his char- his thing to overcome as a character, but that's not really what he overcomes. He doesn't overcome being a sellout. I mean, he ends up becoming her manager, which I guess is a better career option, sort of. <laughs> than him having his own career. Right, being a manager isn't really living the that's dream. That's nice, because I feel like usually in movies that's inverted uh, gender-wise, where it's like the female romantic interest settles for just supporting the uh, the male protagonist's career. Totally. So this movie's really out of its time. Really, really forward thinking. It's, it yeah. is very progressive in many strange, unsettling yes. ways. <laughs> but yeah, so we get a little bit more. We start to get more here about, you know, their sort of relationship. I know we're just going to keep coming back to this because there's just no way not to. But he <laughs> he falls asleep and she has this sort of tender scene where she's touching his feathered quaff. And then she goes through his. Uh. Uh. <laughs> Jen, do you want to take this? Sure. <laughs> so he's, she goes through his wallet because it had fallen on the floor. And, you know, we get to see his license. And he's from like Washington Duck, D.C. Mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. They're, or they're all, you know, and he's got like um, a picture of him with some babes at the beach, some duck babes. Mm-hmm. And then we got a picture of him with his mom and dad, which is sweet. And then we're looking at his credit cards. He's like master quack and like <laughs> blooming ducks. And I'm here for, I'm so here for all of this. Every <laughs> single like goofy duck thing. I'm just, I'm so excited. And and then we go and we see he has money that looks like U.S. money, but it's from the United States of something. I can't remember. It was something A.D. something or another. It wasn't really a straight up duck name, but it looks like American money. And then we see a tiny duck condom. And I kind of, I think I kind of remember this from seeing, because I haven't seen, I literally had not seen this since I was a kid until today. And I just was like, especially with all of the like cute packaging, like they couldn't have had like a cute condom package. Like this condom is not wrapped. Nope. <laughs> it's an unwrapped duck condom. condom. Well, and I, I guess the thinking there is if you don't see it, you're not going to know what it is. But I mean, like, is that really the hill you want to die on? You know, like just put a put it in a pack because it's even grosser that grosser. it's not <laughs> and, and Beverly goes oh Howard <laughs> uh, that makes it worse I don't know why <laughs> her acting like it's cute I makes know, it worse but yeah it could have just been in a cute little package with like some sort of troduck or something or I don't right. know yeah, anyway. Yeah. anyway but yeah that was that was something any other decision would have been better. I mean, cutting it out would have been the best decision. And you have to wonder, like, while they're editing this, they're seeing this over and over. And, like, nobody's like, the unwrapped duck condom. Do we really need the unwrapped duck condom? You see George Lucas sitting back there. Yes, we need the unwrapped duck <laughs> yeah. condom. I can't. It's just, I don't. Because the movie's too, like, doofy and little kitty. For anyone who wanted this kind of like subversive 
raunchy comedy. Are they thinking that it's going to keep the parents entertained? Is that what the, maybe the thinking is? There's something for everyone. <laughs> I, I know they weren't thinking this, but all it really did is that it was great. I feel for like being a kid, you know, I could tell the difference between like this and a Care Bears movie. Yeah. I don't know how much I necessarily intellectualized it, but just, you know, that this wasn't like a kid's movie. I, I felt like I was just watching a normal movie aimed at everybody else. Uh, that starred a cartoon duck. Yeah. <laughs> like all my favorite things. <laughs> so, yeah, the duck condom sort of stuns you and leaves you feeling dazed. And the next few scenes is basically <laughs> what we're setting up is that um, Beverly's taking Howard to her scientist friend, Phil, played by Tim Robbins. And he works at the a natural history museum or something and she like takes howard there in a trash bag which i found a little bit like it is like creepily dragging yes. him up the stairs <laughs> yeah. and stuff i'm like just pick him up how much can he possibly weigh right. but yeah so we're introduced to phil here as tim robbins now i have a special connection to tim robbins because for some <laughs> weird fucking reason People think I look like Tim Robbins and say it all the friggin' time. It's true. And I do not look like Tim Robbins. You don't look, I wouldn't say you don't, you could look less like him, but I would say you don't look anything like him. But he, but he gets it all the time. Like, I, it's really, I, no, I, it's like people have said it to me. Like, I've like, you know, do you know who your oh, husband you married looks the like? Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins guy. guy. Yeah, it's so I feel weird. like I look more like Tim Robbins than you, <laughs> you do, and I don't think do. I look like Tim Robbins either. Well, first of all, he's like nine feet tall, and I am not. <laughs> and like one guy asked me for my autograph as Tim Robbins, and I was like, do I? What? Yes, and I ha I'm like, dude, I don't look anything like him. He's like, come on, man, you can't, you can't fool me. Like he was like, he thought I was like being a jerk and not wanting to give him an autograph. And I was like, no, I'm not him. Like, get, let's look at a picture you of him. You also don't sound no. anything like him either. I mean, I granted, I, I, I guess probably normally people don't realize that he's like a super giant freak. I think people <laughs> just don't look closely at his face or something. Like, even his nose is different than mine. I don't get it at all. But anyway, I like him a lot. He's an actor that I I really enjoy seeing. But this was the first time I ever remember seeing him as this, this oh, character. He's, he's really turning it up to 11. Oh my God, <laughs> is he ever? in this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, he's going like full comedy performance. And I, I kind of enjoy it. I mean, I think at the time when I first saw it, I thought he was annoying because he was sort of that annoying comic oh, character. I would have if I was a teenager. I loved him because, you know, I was a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought he was hilarious. He was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Right. He's as a kid. almost the Jar Jar of the movie, but I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> yes. But it's if there is that slot to be filled, it is certainly by him yes, he's in a, he's doing a very broad comedic performance but a pretty good one i think and especially considering mm -hmm. looking at his later career and how you know i mean he does he does comedy stuff from he you know he's done it kind of consistently but you know he's become much more of a serious actor as time has gone on so it's kind of refreshing to get this broad tim robbins performance the best part, I think, the part where I was most having the best time with him was when he's trying to get Howard to express his superpowers or whatever. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> he just can't accept that Howard 
has absolutely yeah. no powers, no alien powers. Yes. He's just a duck. Just a regular duck man. And like Howard's <laughs> pretty much a jerk to him right away. Like he doesn't really like him at all. I don't know if it's we're supposed to feel that Howard's jealous of him or something. I think it's like a love triangle is how Howard's responding to it right of just like who's this friend of yours yeah he's kind of a dick like right off the bat he thinks he's full of shit he you know he's like gets pissed that he's bugging him about superpowers and stuff and then we find out after this hilarious scene where tim robbins is laying out that his theory of duck evolution <laughs> we're like looking at a display <laughs> in the uh the museum but then it changes to like duck cromagnon man and stuff it's ridiculous but um after that we find out that is it that tim robbins is really a janitor well at first he's not a janitor and and it was when he's going over the the duck evolution or whatever also something funny is howard's like everyone learns this in duck school like this isn't any uh -huh. big revelation, you know. Like he in makes some ducks. <laughs> they would call it duck school on a planet, <laughs> right? Of oh, ducks. ducks, yeah. But he says like duck school or something like that. And then, yeah, he's not the janitor, but that's what Howard says. But he's like a lab assistant. He gets treated like the janitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's not yeah. supposed to be doing all the stuff right. he is doing. Yeah, he's acting like he's a scientist, but he's still in school. He's just getting treated badly by the snooty scientists that work yes. there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. At the Matchroom History Museum. <laughs> yes, as they do. So, yeah, look, D Howard's not digging Phil, so he, he basically is like, he's had enough of this science crap. And so he leaves, and him and Beverly have, like, a falling out here, this sort of weird beat where they, you know go their separate ways and they have they have a they have their first fight and it's kind of really over nothing like they just <laughs> howard's like i don't want to do this anymore and beverly's like fine go do something else then you're impossible yeah yeah <laughs> and they've like hung out for like five minutes it's like what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. every time this is way too soon in the romantic comedy to be having the breakup scene you know like way too early but I'm glad it happens because this is kind of my favorite segment in the whole movie. This whole, these two scenes. <laughs> like, so Howard goes to the unemployment office <laughs> dressed in child's clothes that he's gotten from like, I don't know, St. Vinny's or something. <laughs> Like he's wearing, but like he's got like a leather cap on and like sunglasses and um, he's gotten like the most surly woman who works at the unemployment <laughs> office who thinks he's a lazy slacker. <laughs> like She's really chewing him out for not having gainful employment. Um, it's really a kind of a wonderful scene. And he, he tries to bite her ass at one point. <laughs> Like she, she turns her big butt his way, and, and he he's like, like "Ooh!" No, he almost goes in to bite it, yeah, because he's so pissed that she's treating him so poorly. No, he's horny about her butt. No, when Are she turns sure? around, yes, because he turns, she turns around, and he's all like irritated about it. But then she turns around, and he's like, "Ooh!" And then he's like going in to nibble on her butt. Oh but, like, God, he's, you're he's, probably he's, right. He's horny for her butt. Yeah, a hundred percent. Around the same time as uh, Little Shop of Horrors, and that has the bit where they're in the lobby of to go see John Candy's character and. The plant is like trying to bite some Butts. some woman's butt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was just in the air, I so guess. It was a time. trend. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, was it was the a, time. It was an eighties trend. <laughs> 
this is also the part of the movie where like and eventually think like things will pick back up soon once we get to Jeffrey Jones. But this is the portion of the movie where I, I kind of have the feeling where I'm like, where is this going? Like we were kind of losing some for forward momentum by them having like a fight and they're not really being any objective other than it's just like, what am I going to do with my life now? Yeah, but you know what? I would watch like a fucking factotum version of Howard the Duck where it's just him going from job to job, <laughs> yeah, job like to job. a yeah. Charles Duckkowski book or whatever. For <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Howard's just like, now he's working at Hot Tub Fever, which is uh, uh, <laughs> the, pl- the place where he the goes best. to work is like a... <laughs> So gross. Like, I don't know if these really existed in the 80s. They probably did. And I'm they're in so many movies, though. These hot tub sex clubs. Oh, <laughs> I think there's a whole movie so that's gross. called like Hollywood Hot, hot tub. tub. Right. Yes. Oof. It's about some sort of hot tub spa. I don't know what you would even try to call yeah, it. Yeah, like but... a spa where there's a bunch of hot tubs and mud baths, but everybody's Ugh. just there to fuck. Getting, getting <laughs> down. Yeah. It's so gross. The strip club version of a spa is yes. what it feels like. I'm sure it was a real thing in Hollywood at the very least at some point. Poor Howard has got a job there as the towel boy at Hot Tub Fever. <laughs> <laughs> and like, his boss is demanding that he cleans out the like one of the sex tubs sex tub. and, <laughs> like because the filter has gotten dirty or something and like Howard doesn't want to do it so he like throws him in the into the sex tub and like look I see the logic you know that you've got a duck they can swim yeah but he can't swim that's right we find yeah. out Howard can't swim but yeah, so to get revenge on getting thrown in the gross sex tub, Howard pushes uh, the boss into the lava of love, <laughs> <laughs> which is like this gross mud pit where people are having sex in. Uh... <laughs> really gross, uh... but kind of my favorite part of the movie, if I'm being perfectly honest. Hot tub fever. And then comes another scene, which I love, where Howard is like down, you know, and he's lost his job. And so he's just kind of wandering the street <laughs> and he wanders by um, the, you know, a department store with TVs in the window. A great narrative delivery uh, device mm-hmm. of any film, especially around this time. And he sees all these shows about like duck hunting <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that, like ads for duckaroni, like cooking a duck on like as a cooking show or something with like the like a duck being cooked and yeah, it's just all of these horrible like just du- everything's terrible for ducks and he's just he's so horrified. Yeah, this trio of scenes is kind of my favorite part of the whole movie, it's just because it's so insane. It's it's pretty great. But this sort of takes Howard back to the uh, the rock club, and he hears um, Beverly singing a sad ballad that seems sort of to be about him. And um, one thing I love about this rock club is it's got a chain link fence in front of the stage so that, you know, when people want to throw bottles at you or whatever, it just smashes against the fence. As somebody who's played in many rock bands, I can assure you, that really isn't was never a thing that you see that in no. movies all the time. <laughs> Blues Brothers, right? And no, they would just Road let House. people throw things at you. There was no, yeah. <laughs> there was no chain link fence. Yeah, it's kind of a weird scene because Howard kind of wanders into the sound of her her voice, siren songing him into the club, and then she's kind of like 
screw that song. And she starts into like a rocking number. And um, while this is going on, um, Howard overhears her sleazy manager, Ginger, (laughs) 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 like talking to a bunch of other like goons, one of whom is Richard Edson, weirdly. I know, who was in everything in the the 80s, early 90s. Right. He he sort of went on to be or even he was this was during the 80s, but he was in a lot of the Jim Jarmusch stuff, uh, you know. Down by Lawns. I mean, he's, he's a really great character actor. And I mean, you know, obviously he can do a part like this in his sleep. This is just the kind of thing like he does on a Saturday or whatever. <laughs> just kind <laughs> yeah. of, hey, whatever. Whoa. But yeah, he's he's one of the sleaze balls at the bar. So like Howard basically wants to take over managing the band. And so they get into this sort of bar fight where they've put Howard up on the bar and He's getting pushed down the bar and and whatever. Yeah, then at one point he gets like a knife or something and he stabs it through the guy's earring and pins him to the bar and gets him to hand over the, you know, control of the band and then he threatens the other guys with space rabies. <laughs> <laughs> why, why would a duck have space rabies? Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well the normal people lot like Tim Robbins treats him like an alien. Yeah. Everyone else, it's more like, kind of like a Muppet where they're like, that's a duck, man. <laughs> well, right. And like these guys don't assume he's from outer space. So why would no. they? Yeah, exactly. Why would they be like, oh, why would that make sense? Well, so to you'd them? be confusing. Yeah, you'd be like, what? Yeah, you should be like, I have duck rabies. Right. <laughs> it's a weird joke that doesn't really quite work. Again, it's very little kid, despite the inappropriate stuff. Like it all works on just like a big goofy like i recently rewatched honey i shrunk the kids very different movie and that one has a more consistent uh appropriate tone right. for its age group but like that's all just full of like big silly jokes and kind of like hammy overacting right you know i feel like it falls in that vein but the fact that like it's like a love story between <laughs> a, a duck and a a, a rocker girl and has duck boobs. It, <laughs> I'm almost surprised. The only thing that would be even more fitting for how all over the place would, this would be is if it periodically just like, like three times in the movie, somebody said, fuck. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, that's, that's the only thing that doesn't make this seem like a movie aimed at adults is that no one swears. Right. Other than that though, it's very hard to tell what their intention was. One interesting thing that uh, Jen pointed out is one of the band members is Holly Robinson. Yeah, mm-hmm. which that I had not remembered. I, I guess because I didn't really know who she was when I was watching this as a kid. She's in there for all you uh, Twenty One Jump Street OG Twenty One Jump Street fans and head of the class. I think too. Right, right. She was on head of the class, but yeah, Twenty One Jump Street for sure. So we get this scene backstage where like Tim Robbins shows up and like pulls a feather off of Howard, which does not endear him any further to Howard. And then Beverly and Ducky go back to her place. And if this movie has gotten (laughs) weird before, now we're we're really getting really weird because like Howard like jams on her synths or whatever. But then like Leah Thompson comes out of the bathroom in like this really skimpy like panties and t-shirt outfit and oh my goodness it (laughs) it gets weird yep 
it can't be said enough of who who was this aimed for. Because granted, like, by by the time I was like, you know, obviously like eleven and twelve, that was when I reached the age where I wanted to rent as many movies as possible that would have had Leah Thompson and a skimpy little outfit. But I feel like when I was like a real little kid, when I most loved the movie, I don't. I almost feel like that was meaningless. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you'd be like, gross, a girl <laughs> in her underwear. It's like, bring Tim Robbins back. Who cares about this character? Yeah, but they do this whole weird, like, he's into her, but then so she's like, well, okay, you're into me? Well, then, you know, like, first she just tries to get him to watch Letterman with her, which is amazing. But then, <laughs> you know, so he's in bed with her, and then, you know, he's kind of giving her the business, but then she turns it around on him. But then he's like, oh, no, no, you know, this is we can't do this. And so it's like going back and forth between them, which is just another bizarre decision. I mean, I guess I don't know how else you play it if you're going to go there. But I mean, it's it's stuff that we've seen before, like definitely where, you know, like a man. And again, it's definitely during this time or maybe even earlier where like the man is like coming on strong and then. When the woman kicks it back, then right. all of a sudden he's like, oh, you know, and so then he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, doesn't know what to do. But it's like it's really it's just it's a line that he says is he's like, uh, I have a headache. And she's like, and I'm the aspirin. And it's like, oh, <laughs> what? You didn't find that sexy? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I was going to say it, it almost makes it weirder. Yeah. And creepier. Like, in some ways, it's almost like if the scene had just been they go back and then she's like, how about we get freaky? And he's like, let's do it. And they fall on the bed and the lights turn up. You kind of been like, whoa, (laughs) they bang. But the fact that they're trying to play it straight, like, you know, like this was some early 80s Patrick Dempsey movie where he's like this cute nerd and like really trying to get you to buy into the, as you noted, will they or won't they? It's like Patton Oswalt has a great routine about how he thinks people who use silly nonsense words in replacing of like, like instead of referring to like, you know, your dick or whatever, like, oh my, you know, no, 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 or whatever. You're like, ew. Right. It's worse. Like that makes it worse. That's kind of, that's what this gives me the vibe. The fact that they're trying to play it like cutesy and chaste. I'm just like, what What do you want me to be feeling yeah. emotionally <laughs> from this scene? Well, like, I'm not I'm not into this. It's no. whiplashing you between two feelings you don't want to feel, which are yeah. he's into her and then she's into him. And you're just like, I don't want to feel either of those things. Well, then there's also, too, like, I was thinking about this time when I was watching it is it's like, I mean, there's the whole, like, he's a duck man from outer space thing going on. But if we also like take into account that like there's a photo of him in his duck apartment where he's like a hippie, then yeah. like he's an older duck man too. Like she's like yeah. supposed to be like barely in her twenties or whatever. That would make him like, if he was a hippie, then that would. That would... Yeah. He's like a 40 year old. Duck he's a middle aged like duck man. Who's like also like, <laughs> it's just it's so many levels of weirdness and just kind of like, ugh, I don't no know. No matter where you go with it, it's not good. <laughs> it's not where, you know. Well, it's funny too, just even speaking in sonic terms, uh, unrelated to the movie, this is just the actual character's backstory is 
because Sonic was specifically aimed to appeal to the American audience or market, which gave Sega of America, which was all Americans, mm-hmm. kind of a weird amount of power over it, so that like you know they could influence the Japanese designs. Uh, and the, when the the Japanese version of Sonic, when they came up with him, it was like he uh, was in love with a human female named Madonna, uh, and the head of Sega America was just kind of like. No, like what? <laughs> like I don't want to sell this. This is weird. Please we tell me you that? put that in Sonic too. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> and you do real Madonna. You just get Madonna to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tickets sold. I think that was. Now I'm thinking back. That was actually some of the context in which uh, we would keep bringing up Howard the Duck that our director did not like hearing is that we liked to crack jokes about it him having like the hots on some right. <laughs> human character when you know the 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 safe bet is you just don't do any of that don't <laughs> don't do it i think you're right the best way would have just to have been like okay they get in bed the lights go out let our imagination run wild like that's if you're going to yes. go in this direction just do that the way they tease it will they or won't they just makes it infinitely worse But like even weirder is the way this scene ends because we get this awkward thing between them and they're sort of behind this like screen or whatever. And then Tim Robbins just shows up like he has keys to her apartment or something. (laughs) He just shows up, interrupts them while they're in this awkward, uh, almost getting it on scene. And he's brought with him Jeffrey Jones as a. Professor Jenning. We get the whole explanation here as to basically how Howard got brought into our world, which was because there's this big space laser that Jenning was testing out. I forget what it's called. It has a name. I can't remember. But he's been testing it out, and it accidentally shot off into space and pulled uh, Howard to Earth. So that's how he got here. And Tim Robbins just happens to know the guy who was testing this space laser. Jeffrey Jones, who sadly has uh, gone on to have a sh- sort of shameful. <laughs> not yeah. good. Not good. Not, not, not Bringing good a whole grosser life. level of sexual grossness. We won't get into it, but. Nope. Um, <laughs> I actually think he's pretty good in this movie. I mean, I mean, there was a point in my life where I feel like I remembered every single thing that happened in this movie, but that was now so long ago that really all I remembered is I very vividly remember all the opening duck world stuff. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was slightly more of the movie than it was based on how well I remembered it. That's basically just the opening credits. Uh, And then every other thing I remember from this movie is Jeffrey Jones related. Like that was, I think the parts of the movie I really, really liked when I was a kid. I mean, in part, I think they're some of the weirder freakier stuff in a good way but also i think it's just because i love him in back to the why not back to the future ferris bueller's day off so much Mm -hmm. uh and his his performance is very out of control in this film oh it's great yeah he kind of steals the movie i mean in a way like i I was amazed at how late he comes into it though watching it this time i'm like where's jeffrey jones that's like all i remember about this movie well and i i had sort of forgotten that you know he sort of starts off as a sympathetic character and then becomes a not sympathetic character but then at the end he's sort of back as a sympathetic character so mm-hmm. because you know what we learn here is that, yeah the space lasers shot off into space and basically they need to go to the lab because they think they can reverse the laser and, and send howard back to his home world 
But then what happens is um, they go to the lab and the laser has exploded. We get a David Paymer uh, cameo here. (laughs) Gotta have some David Paymer. Gotta throw him in there. Somewhere in your movie. As one of the scientists. Yeah, the the laser is exploded. And uh, what we will find out here is that it's brought an evil uh, extraterrestrial entity down into it. And it is inhabited Jeffrey Jones. So, you know, he becomes the villain of the movie. But the weird thing that happens in this scene is so we, we go to the lab and the lasers explode and everything. And it's like the cops show up. And they basically just go after Howard. I mean, was there a reason why they like were arrest that duck? No, because he's just a duck. I think yeah. it's like he's, and they think he's like wearing. He's weird. A, Get him. And yeah, he's he's different. No, but he's like he. They think he's wearing a costume, and then that's whole all weird. The cops are like stripping him down to his little boxers. <laughs> it's just like yeah, he's like in his boxers, and you see his like little duck knees like, sort like, of trembling. Yeah. So one of those shots that makes you feel weird. It's, yeah, it's all yeah, it's weird. But yeah, the cops are completely like they're they're acting like the explosion and all of this is Howard's fault. Like he's right, the problem, yes. and he's like, I just showed up here. Howard's like, I just got here. Yeah, the the cops are immediately like after Howard and sort of remain so for the whole movie, just to sort of add an extra sort of antagonistic force against Howard, I guess, but. It's unnecessary. I mean, at this point in the movie, I feel like hijinks need to ensue. So we were sort of at that part in the in the in the movie where it's got to be chases and, you know, set pieces and stuff. And at this point, I kind of the fun of it starts to wane for me a little bit. I imagine like this is where your friends, Josh, were like feeling the pacing. I think my friends were like that almost immediately. (laughs) Maybe I'm ascribing too much love for the first half of the movie, but I definitely, this sort of middle second act section, I think gets a little bit tiresome. Well, this is where it becomes very ticking clock. Uh, And it's interesting that this was the part of the movie that I think I liked the most. Is it, well, it's really the part, the, the sequence of the movie I've remembered most vividly is just the, pr- the prolonged diner right. set piece where Jeffrey Jones first kind of like aliens out. Uh, and I also realized, oh, I shouldn't say I realized watching this, I knew this long ago, but it's part of what I like about it is there's something I just really love about 1980s um, r- well done, like this high-end ILM version of it, hand-drawn blue electricity. Yes, it's a very specific, yes. very specific look to that time. I feel like this movie kind of was the pinnacle of it. Oh, so much of it! Like he's like just surrounded by it at all times after a certain point, basically. And I love the stupid voice he's doing once he becomes an alien, evil overlord. He becomes an evil overlord. Let's talk about that scene because basically Jenning gets Howard and Bev out of the, the lab and um, they get away in his car. And, you know, we're sort of learning at this point that there's something has jumped inside <laughs> Jenning. And he gets this one line that was a real head scratcher, but I enjoyed where he goes, it's replicating and superseding all my internal organs. <laughs> like, that's a really vivid and weird description of what's going on. Which Beverly says, like, we'll pull over and use the restroom or something like that. <laughs> She's like, There's definitely a lot of that kind of like low end 
farce right. in this section where there is something obviously wrong with him, but Howard and Beverly are just like so oblivious to him yes. and just kind of keep having their own side conversations and kind of like half paying attention to him, even though he's starting to go full like Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black. Where <laughs> it's like, this is not a human anymore. Yeah, the Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black is totally ripping off this performance. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, and he also gets not quite Rick Baker, Vincent D'Onofrio, Men in Black made up but like i really like his like he looks very unpleasant and gross yeah. once he's going like full freaky monster where just sort of parts of his face are this like sickly white yeah almost like his skull is pressing out too far and he's like peeling a little bit like his skin's yeah. kind of peeling and he's just sweaty and it looks like his and his yeah, it's like his his face is like his skin's too tight for his face. Like it feels yeah. like like you're saying with the bones, like he's gonna like feels like he's gonna like burst through at any moment. Yeah. Like that's it's intense. And yeah, they really didn't skimp on the makeup too, because like you can even see it in like his gums. His gums look all gross because he's sort of gnashing his teeth a lot, and it's yeah. like they really went all yeah. out, but but yeah. in a subtle way. And I mean it. The makeup sort of gets more extreme as it goes, but like um, they basically they end up at this uh, restaurant that I wrote down a diner, which I wrote down as Joe Rogan's Cajun sushi, <laughs> but it was something else, right, Jen? It was like, it was like Joe Roma's. I think it was Roma. I think it would be good if Joe Rogan's opened up a Cajun sushi. Cajun place. sushi. Jeffrey Jones really starts to take over here because they have this whole scene where they sit down to eat and like this waitress who seems like a comedian who's really hoping this is going to be her big break uh, yeah like yeah but we, and she's not bad she's no. not yeah, bad. She, yeah. Yeah. she could have been in a sitcom she really has a, a little moment here yeah she but you can tell like she's putting her all into she's like they're gonna notice me they're gonna notice me and sadly i don't think we ever see see that actress again so yeah she's like bringing them food and uh howard freaks out about the eggs because you know that's cannibalism yes in, in duck world <laughs> yeah like we get this whole from uh, you know jeffrey jones is this now inhabited by this this creature called the dark overlord of the universe or you know just the dark overlord for short and you know <laughs> we learn that he's going to summon his fellow dark overlords from the like negative zone or whatever they've been um, banished and sort of to prove his power here he sh he shoots the mustard and ketchup with his like ILM laser <laughs> eyes, which is pretty great. Yep. We're getting this this kind of crazy Jeffrey Jones performance, but we're also getting the sort of plot backstory, the you know, what the villain in this movie is gonna be and what's gonna happen and this is where the phase where the movie where it's kind of like it just sort of breezes through till we get to the big because this leads directly, basically, into the big chase back to the laser, right? But before we get there, though, uh, these rednecks come yeah. over to their table. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the, the big bar fight, yeah. diner fight. Yeah, we get the big diner fight here. And like, they, they, it literally devolves into, like, a pie fight. And then at one point, the rednecks uh, bring Howard into the back room, the kitchen. They've got, like, got him down on the, the chopping block. And, you know, they're going to they're seasoning him. They're going to cook him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, they're <laughs> seasoning me. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> like... <laughs> and so he's calling out to uh, 
to Beverly to help him. And Beverly has has now been convinced that Jennings is the dark overlord and she's trying to get him to help out Howard, which I don't know why. Oh, because Howard has the key. He, yeah. Howard has like this MacGuffin key that yeah. that Jer Jeffrey Jones needs. For the laser. It's for the, the computer for the laser or something. So that's how she convinces the Dark Overlord to help Howard. And so what he does is he starts like psychically f like throwing like cleavers and stuff around the the diner. And he's leveling the place with um, eye blasts and stuff. And But then Beverly gets the, the key from Howard and they escape. But the, the Overlord gets Beverly and drives off with her in the truck. Oh, wait. At one point, like, the Overlord, like, levitates Howard, which is another, like, <laughs> moment where you feel bad for the little person. You Dang can tell that. he probably spent days up on, like, a wire. Wires. <laughs> like, being levitated. I'm forgetting the guy's name, but I think, I think this was a very similar situation as Warwick Davis in Return of the Jedi, where they got, like, a really young little person. Like, he was, like, a teenager or something at the time. Well, I, I looked on IMDb, and there was a lot of people who were listed. I think some of those are more, like, stunt people. Just stunt guys, or yeah. Yeah, I think it was, like, for most of the, you know, the acting, uh, I think it was primarily this one guy. But, I mean, his, his like, body movement and stuff in general yeah, is good. good. He's good in the suit. He's a good suit performer. That must have been really hot in that. I just wonder how heavy the head was. Oh, God. With all the fucking motors in there and stuff. He probably still has, like, neck problems because of it. Yeah. Poor guy. Anyway, so, yeah. So, uh, the Overlord has abducted Beverly, and he they're driving off in a truck. At one point, like, his, he's, he needs to recharge his energy, so his tongue tentacle comes out and goes into the, the lighter <laughs> cigarette lighter the yeah. cigarette lighter and rejuvenates him and he's not just driving a truck it's a semi truck it's a semi truck yeah, yeah. like i mean just to up the ante because it's like it's this giant truck he's not hauling anything i don't think but it's like the cab it's like this big semi and basically what they do to, to sort of drive the plot forward at this point is or to add more things in is that he needs power so like he stops off at a, like a nuclear power plant <laughs> because we're all really worried about that in the 80s yep. and he takes a tour even though he looks like death warmed over. They're, they're fine <laughs> with him touring the plant. And like at one point, like I think he just like blasts his way into the reactor or whatever and just like powers up with nuclear energy. He's a total creep at the, the power plant too, of course. But like there's one part before he blasts through to get to the reactor or whatever where he's just like up against the glass or whatever and he's like power yeah. and the people then like the tour guides are like hey let's let's move it along right. you know yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's pretty consistently great like throughout all of this nonsense yeah. that's why i'm sad that he turned out to be so gross in real life because such a bummer I, man i loved him in this era up through yeah beetlejuice Mom and Dad save the universe or whatever yeah. that's called. He was, he was doing good work Solid. right up until like the 2000s before it all all the horrible news came out about him. And, you know, he, he was showing up and stuff. He was showing yeah. up in like Tim Burton. He was on movies. Deadwood. Yeah. And... yeah. But anyway, so at one point they, they there's like a, this pointless checkpoint stop in the freeway. And then 
at this point, his makeup is becoming more advanced. He's sort of got this like fright wig kind of look to him. And I think he kills a cop. At one point. Yeah. Well, it's like a, it's a ridiculous checkpoint stop. I think it's like a smog check or something, which is yeah, that's not check. how that works at all. Like no. anyone who knows, like who's been through smog check, that's not what a smog check is, but whatever. But yeah, he totally like, like he's super powerful now. And he like laser beams shoot out of his eyes again, the blue, creepy, crazy blue eyes. And he just like totally fries this cop and Beverly's horrified. She's like, ah. So yeah, he's basically a cop killer. Yeah. Um, but it, what, what's going on simultaneously to this is that uh, Phil and Howard have now been paired together because, you know, they hate each other. So they've got to be the, which is kind of a weird thing because now it becomes it's like this thing with Phil and Howard, you know, where it's like one thing that I appreciated about Sonic is Sonic is about the relationship between him and James Marsden. And that's like the whole movie, mm -hmm. the whole movie. And it's like Sonic wants a friend and it's yeah. he's his friend, you know, so it's very clear cut. My problem with, the, with this structurally is like we only care about. Howard's creepy relationship with Beverly. Yes. <laughs> we don't care about his adversarial relationship with Phil. We don't need this to turn into like a buddy, you know, bad yeah. buddy cop movie kind of scenario in this, this last part of the movie. It's not what we're here for. But like they, they find this ridiculous like, I don't even know what these things are called. It's like an, a bicycle airplane. Like, is there an actual term for what this thing is? I don't know. Funny thing is, is, and this didn't come out like it was like 15 years after this. And now I'm brain farting what it's even called. Maybe like fly away. I feel it was like a documentary, like a, you know, one of those really well shot documentaries that was about somebody who had one of these bicycle <laughs> plane, but that was using it to go like hang out with like migrating birds. Do you guys remember that movie? Yes. It was like very late night. Fly Away Home, I think it's called, isn't it? It called? is. Oh, Fly Away Home. I that, believe yeah, that's I what it's called. Fly Away, but yeah. It's called an uh, so, ultralight aircraft, just so go. we know. I looked it up. Okay. <laughs> but it was funny that now, now being post Fly Away Home and going back to this movie and be like, and it's still involving a duck. Although I think there are maybe geese in a flyaway home. Close enough. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the duck purists are getting really mad right now. They're not the same. <laughs> Racist. But yeah, so basically this is all to set up this crazy aerial hijinks in this ultralight where the cops are chasing them on the ground and you know it's it's and i remember as a, a teenager seeing this in the theater feeling like ugh, like i wasn't I, I don't think I was liking Tim Robbins very much. And like Tim Robbins sort of goes into full goofy mode where he's like hanging yeah. off the thing. They're sort of sniping at each other. It's doubling down on the assumption that you're finding Tim Robbins hilarious. So if, and if you do, then it all works. Yes. So I think that's why that's why this is one of those parts I remembered from watching it as a kid because I did like him in the movie. Yeah. So it's that it's basically the Jar Jar effect where it's like, yeah. you know, like at, at the end of Phantom Menace, Jar Jar is doing all this crazy crap on, you know, falling and hanging off of things and stuff like that. And it's hilarious if you're a kid. But if you're an adult like me, you're rolling your eyes, <laughs> stabbing yourself. So, yeah, in the face. Even as a but, it, but it's actually kind of cool in a way because they are really flying this thing around like they're well, which is why. All old movies like this are just inherently Better. 
better because you can you if nothing else you're like oh wow they did that yeah. oh that's a real dude exactly hanging upside down from that thing yeah. and it's funny i just watched it i'm already forgetting is there a part where like tim robbins is upside down his head is like hitting the water or yes can, no that okay. happens that totally yeah. happens because he's like totally sopping wet and he's like coming keeps get, get, like getting dunked in the water and yeah. i mean there's all kinds of shenanigans happening on the back where like howard's finally like getting it to fly or whatever you know and it's like he's not really paying attention to what he's doing to tim robbins but i mean it is kind of in, like if you want to watch something with just a crazy ultralight thing flying around and landing on trucks and doing all sorts of yeah. crazy crap like <laughs> yeah it is kind of impressive it delivers they had the money to make it work and the shots where you see like tim robbins and and uh, howard like in sort of close-ups look good like i don't know if they're doing like blue like back projection or blue screen or whatever but they actually look pretty convincing they may have just had them like on like a gimbal or something and drove them around. Yeah, I feel, you know, this is a George Lucas movie. They're doing whatever is the high tech at the time. Well, no, I guess not even high tech, but like, you know, the, the, the version that you needed to actually spend money to do, yeah. right. which was possibly just having some sort of moving crane that they were safely sitting in. So they could just kind of get the things moving in the background behind them. Yeah. I mean, the money is there on screen. You can't call this thing a cheap piece of crap. It's like yeah. an expensive piece of crap. <laughs> Which, and I think the, and that's the irony. Cause like if this had been a dumpy Roger Corman movie, I feel like it would, it would be remembered as this like amazing classic for mm -hmm. like, you know, that, that type of a movie. Yeah. Because it is filled with all those outrageous ideas, and obviously Corman would have pushed the inappropriate oh, yeah. uh, relationship like further, so it would have been an adult movie, and it would have just been this example of like what a fucking crazy ass movie, yes, rather than a notorious stinker yeah. of the eighties. <laughs> but I kind of like it in the way it is. Like I like the expensive version, and I'm glad. It well, exists. yeah, that, that's. It's great as an audience member when somebody blows a lot of money on something just like absurd. We all get to enjoy it, but uh, and granted, Spiel or it's, Lucas was not in a place where this was really gonna impact his career, but uh, it impacted the writers and directors. I'm sure somebody was putting teeth marks in a shotgun when they saw like, <laughs> yeah. the numbers for this roll in. Somebody was super bummed yeah. at the way this bombed. So uh, Phil and Howard make their way to the lab. They crash into a pond with the ultralight and, and uh, ha ha, Howard can't swim. They go into the lab and, you know, sort of classic villain style, like tying the heroin up on the, tr the railroad tracks. Uh, the Dark Overlord has like Beverly tied like right underneath the laser because he's going to shoot it into space and bring a, a more dark overlords but specifically one to inhabit her body because they have to inhabit a human host to, to gestate here on earth sure well we'll so go it's with fine that. it's fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it puts her in danger so we get the big sort of uh showdown set piece here Basically, uh, Phil and Howard have to get this disintegrator gun or something, yes. <laughs> which they which is on like this, like, I don't know, six wheel vehicle. And mm -hmm. so they just kind of drive that around and try to shoot um, Jeffrey Jones and, you know, ILM 
uh, lightning bolts are going all around him and he's firing back at them and whatever. It's sort of this just battle between them while Jeffrey Jones is still in monster makeup. Now, I always remembered because we've seen this happen in so many movies since like this has become a thing where the villain is in human form for most of the movie and then becomes a big monster at the end. I had remembered that Jeffrey Jones like changed into the Dark Overlord, but that is not what happens. There's an explosion and Jeffrey Jones gets separated from the Dark Overlord and the Dark Overlord now is this, is it, um, he's a stop motion uh, animated creature. Is this uh, Phil Tippett? Yeah, this was Phil Tippett. Now, I love this monster. I actually think this oh, monster is so great. I, yep. I love it. And I remember even thinking when I saw it, I was like, damn, that monster at the end, they delivered with that thing. Like, I yep. thought it was was super cool. I remember thinking then, like, is this stop motion? Because it looks it looks so much smoother than stop motion had up to that point. Like, I think there was some sort of, I mean, it's Lucasfilm, so there had to be some sort of technological advance or something. But, like, it looked way better than the Rancor did in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, well, I, I don't remember if Tippett himself was involved with, uh, I think it was called Go Motion, which I think the Rancor was one of the first things they used it on. Right. Where the camera would, like, or the, some, no, the, the armatures were slightly robust roboticized so they would jerk ever so slightly during the like one frame to create the uh, the idea of a motion blur and i think they'd probably just been perfecting that and it's just funny because like this i and to me this and willow have a lot in common of these movies that lucas was getting made off his star wars indiana jones clout yeah and I think Willow is is more fondly remembered by more people than Howard the Duck, but they were both kind of like they didn't do well. Yeah. And both of them though had like really awesome stop motion. I, I Phil Tippett might even have been the one on uh, Willow, which is more random in Willow. There's just this one random scene where they're being attacked by this like multi-headed. Yeah, it's at the end at the castle. There's a big multi-headed yeah. uh, dragon or something. But I do like that, that that was just kind of part of the Lucas formula for these movies. We're going to have our awesome stop motion monster scene. Well, and it's a formula that has been continued, not with stop motion, but like how many movies now end with the villain becoming a giant yeah, it's a big CG creature? Like, <laughs> this, it's a, to me, this felt like the first one of those that I remember seeing. Like whenever that happens in a movie, I like consciously or subconsciously go right back to Howard the Duck. Like I really do. It's like, oh, it's the Howard the Duck ending. Yeah. And like what you're saying about the stop motion and the blur, I think that's what it was. It, it felt more alive to me because it, you know, because of this advance in technology. I remembered it really interacting a lot with like the, the set and stuff, but it kind of doesn't. I was watching it more closely and. You can see yeah, this. more just like it. It like tries to grab them with its weird pincher scorpion tail yeah. and misses and stuff. Oh wait, does it have a pinching tail? It has like claws. Pincher it's claws. Like weird crab scorpion thing. Well, it opens up its claws and like tentacles shoot out of the palm. Well, it's the same thing that like shot out to get the energy earlier too. It's right. like that same All type right. thing. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, it like snags Howard around the leg, and then. Jeffrey Jones, who's now separated from the monster, like gives him a saw 
to cut off the tentacle that's grabbed yes. his leg. <laughs> yes. Circular saw he tosses to him. Yeah. <laughs> and this green goo spills out of the severed tentacle. But yeah, so, you know, it's just a big monster fight, basically, and Howard ends up getting the disintegrator, and he blows up the Dark Overlord, but then he's he kills the Dark Overlord, but then he's got to make the choice, because there are more Dark Overlords coming through the boom tube, and we get, like, this pretty hilarious shot of, like, them coming through the boom tube, and so Howard's got to make the choice if he blows up the... Which isn't really a choice if you think about it, because like, sure, <laughs> yeah. the laser cannon will still be there, but the dark overlords are going to get in and they're going to just kill everyone any every way. So it's not really like Howard's going to get. Yeah, to yeah use it's not that. that selfless or heroic. Yeah, I feel like because once they showed up, well, how is he doesn't know how to use it? How is he going to go back? Right. All they, you know, like they'll just come in and destroy it or whatever so that they never have to leave. So it's yeah, mm -hmm. it's not like they're just going to invade Earth and be like, oh, no, cool. Go ahead and use it to go home, Howard. But, you know, it's sold as this big moment where he's choosing to stay on Earth and he blows up the laser and they have this sort of unnecessary like is Howard dead moment where he because the laser blows up he's sort of sitting in the rubble and Beverly goes over to him and sort of like a, a like love scene but not really <laughs> it's just pointless and then he wakes up and he's not dead no it's just he wakes up and he's he's got jokes He's like, I'm Howard is no longer here or whatever. Like the stuff that like <laughs> Jeffrey Jones was doing, you know, yes. that he like I am the dark overlord. Yeah. That that's a nice it's moment. It's cute. It's cute. Good good joke. Yeah, so I mean that's that's the big uh the big finale, the big special effects finale. I could easily imagine that watching it again now I'd be like, Oh, these look kinda lame. I'd like improved upon them in my memory over the years but if anything they looked even better than i remembered yeah i i really was surprised how well they held up i mean you can sort of tell a little there's you know compositing slightly slight discoloration not to get too nerdy but you know the the dark overlord creature looks slightly lighter well, just the ana their animation was so good yeah you can definitely see the seams, but I think it actually kind of holds up and is sort of a re mm -hmm. refreshing to watch in this day of perfect CG all the time. But yeah, so that's basically it, except we end on like a big time rock concert because Howard <laughs> has taken over Cherry Bomb as manager. And uh, now they are hugely successful and playing like in some sort of arena to a big crowd. And they've also brought along Philzy is like he's working the stage effects or something, which, you know, just seems like a recipe for disaster, <laughs> <laughs> which it turns oh, out it Filzy. is because Howard gets like accidentally thrown out on stage. But they give him this like little kind of guitar and he starts doing some serious shredding, which has a guitar shredder myself <laughs> i appreciate it it throws in some like Jimi hendrix licks and stuff but well that, that was a back to the future yeah similarity. it's almost yeah. exactly it's so, yeah. so there's some echoes in this movie of back to the future i feel like it's he's almost weird. dressed the same yes. as michael yeah. j fox That's... in that scene totally he's got like a suit on and he's kind of doing some of the same moves moves no they're like hopping across the stage he and leah thompson are yeah which by the way, um, there's some trivia about who could have been Beverly that I can't I can't not share. Sure, go ahead. Because right. it's like 
I was reading through the list of who it could have been, and uh, they all made sense. Like, it's like Paula Abdul, Kim Basinger, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Phoebe Cates. Um, Eve- Paula Abdul? I know. Yeah. I mean, it's the time, I guess, you know? No, this was before her. This would have been... Yeah, like, she was just a Lakers girl. No, but she was a dancer. She was like, a dancer. Definitely yeah. a dancer and choreographer. So, I mean, it, anyway. But, uh, yeah, so none of these, I was like, yeah, okay, I could see it, whatever. And and they even said, like, um, Belinda Carlisle was considered or, you know, oh, she had auditioned. So I could see that. But you know who I could not see? And I don't think anyone could have Olivia seen? Olivia Dukakis? <laughs> Close. <laughs> Tori Amos. Oh, my God. Can you wow. imagine? Tori Amos auditioned for the part of Beverly. Can you even can you even imagine this How with Tori old Amos? Is she? I mean, she's probably the same age as Leah Thompson, I would think. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah, I mean, she's probably yeah, I, I, maybe a little bit younger, but I would think around the same age. That would have been so mind-bogglingly weird. I wonder how her music career would have progressed if everyone was aware that she'd been in Howard the, the Duck. Duck. She dodged a bullet there for sure. <laughs> I think definitely considering like the seriousness of her, her music and career, it would not have been beneficial to have had Howard the Duck in her past. It would have been no. really detrimental to it's her. Hard to, it's hard to just like come off of that and have everyone because like it's fine if you're leah thompson because she's a comedian you know what i oh, mean no, I, oh, yeah, I yeah, meant yeah. like trying to become a serious right like musician like i feel like jenny lewis with rilo kylie if everyone had vividly remembered that she was the kid from the wizard right and that was more of like a fun fact after you had already heard them yeah and then someone would be like she was in this movie you've never heard of average person but I feel like Hard to Duck was like a very high, it was very high profile for a failure. Yeah. Everyone knew Howard the Duck existed. That wasn't, even if you didn't see it, it wasn't like it, it slipped below your radar. Right. It's like cultural saturation was, was heavy, even though it was like a failure. And I'm sure, I'm sure all the late night talk shows hosts were cracking jokes about it. And mm-hmm. Like it wasn't quite an Ishtar level bomb, but. I think it was definitely seen as like, oops, George Lucas. Yeah. What'd you do? No, I just was trying to think because I don't even. You were talking about what Jenny Lewis is in The Wizard. I don't even know what. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. It's a movie about. um, It's a Nintendo movie, basically. Fred Savage is like a kid who plays video games. Yes, 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 yes. It's like it's it's Rain Man. It's Rain Man with children, where Fred Savage is like little brother who's on the spectrum. Yep. And is like an amazing video game player. They're like traveling to play. It, it was how they introduced Super Mario Brothers 3 to the world was you see them playing it at the end of the movie. And the power glove, right? Wasn't that? The power gloves. Best scene in that movie is when they meet the super cool kid who's showing off his power glove. But that's sort of my point was that like no one remembered that movie. And also she was a little kid in it. Yeah. So it wasn't even like you'd recognize her. Yeah. Uh, Ten years later as the, the little girl from that movie. Uh, but, you know, everyone knew Leah Thompson was... <laughs> Howard the Duck. Totally. Well, it probably kept her on a comedy path because I, I think comedy forgives these things very easily. Like, yeah. you know, as long as you, you know, if you're a funny person, it's funny. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But I mean, Tim Robbins survived and went on to prosper. And he- no, I think probably really, I think the writers and directors 
the writer directors took a hit and George Lucas didn't take a hit in that like his career ended because no. obviously it didn't. But I do think this and Willow and like Radioland murders, like this was the era where people were kind of like, oh, so slapping George Lucas's name on something doesn't make people go see it. Yeah. Unless it's a Star Wars movie. And even that's not true because he was having, they did like 13 Land Before Time movies. Yeah. Him and Spielberg and Don Bluth. But I guess it, it showed that there was some fallibility to him. You can imagine being a studio exec after the one-two punch of Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was like another movie people didn't really want to make. That's just kind of like, wow. Yeah. Okay, so George Lucas has an idea. It makes a gazillion dollars and everyone loves it. Just one last thing I want to bring up just because I, it's something I feel deeply in my heart, and that is I really like the song Howard the Duck. That oh, yeah. The Howard the, the Duck. duck. <laughs> I find it really catchy and sing it to myself. I do wish the quack was a little more pronounced in it, you know, because they just kind of do like a synthesized. But I wanted like a... <laughs> If I was mixing that, I'd be like, no, 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 no. We got to really bring in a quack. This is a full on quack. Yeah, Howard the Duck. Quack. Quack. Needed to be in there. So that's Howard the Duck. Now, do we even need to ask ourselves why it failed? Nope. I mean, <laughs> yeah, nope. Well, let me ask you this, Josh. Having seen Howard the Duck again this time, do you feel, how did you enjoy yourself watching it this time? Yeah, I very much enjoyed it, and I'm glad they made it so that because I loved it as a kid. Definitely putting on my like producer hat. I couldn't help but like I said, like I feel the the Roger Corman version of this, which would not have had amazing <laughs> Phil Tippett animation at the end. I mean, actually, I take that back. Uh, if they could have made this before Phil Tippett was famous, and they just plucked him out of like art school as Corman was famous for doing. Maybe he could have gotten some stuff, but he wouldn't have had the money for it. Yeah. But So a lot of the stuff we were praising about the movie, like how good the suit was, wouldn't have been good in the Corman version. Yeah. But I just feel like this, just the inherent weirdness of the storyline and just like what it was going for, this movie really could have worked if it was a smaller movie. Because even with Sonic, that was the thing, is everyone really wanted to make sure the movie was cheap for that kind of movie. Yeah. It was still obviously expensive, um, especially when talking about the idea of like a Corman movie. But it was like just comparing it to Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Because uh, Detective Pikachu also made a lot of money, but it cost twice as much as Sonic, which is, I think, why we have not at least yet seen a Detective Pikachu 2, yeah. which doesn't say it couldn't happen because people liked it. You know, kind of like Hellboy 2 didn't really make enough money that a sequel was, or Hellboy 1 didn't make enough money that it was, a sequel was just a no-brainer and it was greenlit on, like, opening weekend. Yeah. It was just because people liked Hellboy, so they did, and it made enough money. I think that's kind of the Detective Pikachu situation where Sonic, thankfully, was cheap enough that the amount of money it made for Paramount, it was just like, well, obviously we're making. Yeah a sequel, just figure out what it is, which is a cool place to be. But uh, I th Howard was just kind of doomed because I think it would have had to do so well. And I don't see what the audience was for it. Cause as you even noted, you're, you know, you're kind of not sure why you saw it yeah. as a teenager. Granted, I think if people weren't, you know, we didn't have social media and rotten tomatoes. So I think a lot of people, would see a movie based on just what they assumed it was going to be, and they would be horribly disappointed. 
when they fought. So that, I bet that was probably it for you and your friends. You're like, oh, George Lucas. Oh, based on that Howard the Duck comic or whatever. Sure. And I think on some level we kind of knew it was going to be a train wreck. So I think there was a certain amount of irony. We were old enough that irony might have been a factor, but I can't really remember. So I can't really say. But it was definitely, yeah, George Lucas. It looks insane. You know, that kind of thing. Cute Leia Thompson. Like Cute she Leia did. Thompson, yeah. for sure. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I haven't seen it since I was a, a young kid. And I actually, I mean, it's very, uh, I mean, there were things that I had remembered from when I was a kid that I was like, when we, you and I were talking about this, I was like, yeah. And then I remember this was kind of weird. And so I, I had some sort of clue back then that things were a little weird, but I still enjoyed it. But seeing it now and getting to... <laughs> really see how tonally weird it is was you know just seeing it with different eyes but still really enjoying it and there's good stuff there and it, it's fun and you know like i said earlier i fucking love puns and it's this pun central and just all the duckery and and just just yeah it's it's just fun like i mean i found myself and you were chuckling too throughout it like we're watching it and you were chuckling too despite um, myself honestly i wasn't even yeah. really it, i actually found myself genuinely Genuinely amused yes. by some of the jokes, which that, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's hard to amuse me, as you know. No, and especially like you, you <laughs> like I'm always like so hyped about puns. You know, I'm I'm ridiculous about it, and you're just like oh, like constantly rolling your eyes, and you were actually like enjoying all these duck puns. Well, you got to give yourself over to it if you're going to yeah. watch it. Like if you're like, I I cannot stand a duck pun, then you definitely <laughs> should not be watching this. I mean, like, why are you watching this movie? It's if you not have the film any... for you. No, like, OK, here's my feelings. Like watching it again, I expected it to be much more painful to watch than it was. I actually found it to be pretty enjoyable. My problems with I mean, do I think it's a good movie? No, it's not a good movie. You know, there. I even think just from a basic storytelling aspect, it's not really well told. You know, as Josh pointed out, the pacing is weird. You know, you don't know what to feel half the time, really. And if you, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you don't care if he gets home. No, like it's not, not that kind of story. Uh, it's just kind of things are happening. It's almost a surprise when you get to the Jeffrey Jones part portion of the movie because the first half is so aimless. Yeah, that you're just kind of like, oh, and now it's now we need to rush. It's a, we need to rush to the thing, to the place before <laughs> this happens. Kind of story. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't set up at all in Act One, you know. No, and it's like, yeah, you're right. It's a, you're you're not. It's no ET. You're not invested in him getting home. Yeah, you don't care about that. There, the relationship between him and Beverly makes you feel really weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> There's a general amiability to everything, and I think Howard is is kind of a fun character. I mean, he's a fun character. You like him. You you know, he's got attitude and certainly, I mean, you know, your mileage may vary as to how, you know, how old you are or whatever, but he's an enjoyable character to sort of follow around and Leah Thompson is cute and fun and and uh Tim Robbins is like the comic relief and he's good if you like Tim Robbins. So I mean, there's plenty here to enjoy, but in terms of like 
investing you in a story, it completely fails like in that way. Like <laughs> you don't, you don't really care <laughs> yeah. about anything that's going on. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any mystery why it failed because, you know, as Josh and as we've pointed out many times on the show, it's almost all it almost always comes back to who is this for furries maybe might get a little mileage out of this movie you know what i did think about that while watching (laughs) this wondering how the furry community uh how this lives uh for for them yeah it's gotta be a some well i don't want to say it's a classic but it's funny because sonic that whole franchise not the movie franchise but just our you know before the movie uh is apparently huge in the furry franchise that makes sense all the different characters. I have to imagine this is a movie of significance to the furries. I don't want to speak for the furries because (laughs) I don't really know what they think, but I have to think that this movie is on their radar. The fact that it is so overtly furry, I don't, maybe, maybe that's unappealing. I'm not sure. We should have gotten a furry on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a time to invite any furries that would like to be represented to uh, send an email. I know people I suspect of being furries, but I don't know (laughs) anybody who admits to it. So I don't actually know any furries. Wait, I just, I looked it up because I was curious because we keep kind of alluding to it. Uh, So the budget of this movie was around $37 million. Which was a ton. Which in 1986 dollars was gigantic. Yes. Because I remember just a couple years later, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, at, at that time was like the most expensive movie ever made. And that was like low 40s. And just that the whole, I mean, there was so much more they needed to spend money on that. Like they were inventing technology for that movie. So it cost around $37 million and it made 38 Right, which is terrible. Yeah. And is that worldwide? I, that's Wikipedia, and I feel like their, their budget summaries on that are usually worldwide. Yeah. Because I've looked up a lot of movies that I thought were bombs, and I'm like, oh, that actually did pretty good. And then I look it up elsewhere, and I'm like, oh, that was the worldwide yeah. total. Like, that's still super tanked. I would recommend anybody watch the movie just because if you haven't seen Howard the Duck and you're a fan, I mean, I think if you're a fan of Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, I think you should you owe it to yourself to watch Howard the Duck and see how far we've come. I, and despite the failure of that previous time I watched it after hyping it up to friends, watching it this time, I was like, no, I was right. Yeah. Like, fuck them. I feel like it. If I invited over a bunch of people and we were just like drinking beer and watching this like late at night, because it's also a kind of perfect movie to be like half talking over with your friends yeah. because the pacing is eh, and like you don't really care what's happening. So you can kind of just only be appreciating how utterly insane it is that this movie got made. And actually, I'm thinking about the So it made like whatever number I said, 38 million that still means a lot of people saw this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem was just that it was so expensive that it needed to be like an ET level hit yeah. to, <laughs> to turn a profit. I remember the reaction to it being yeah, pretty people toxic. Thought it was terrible. Yeah, it was it was a laughing stock, you know. And cause I remember feeling like, oh, it wasn't that bad, you know. <laughs> but yeah. But like if you've if if anyone has recently seen the Garbage Pale Kids movie. They understand, though, how good Howard the Duck is. Because yeah. <laughs> while Garbage Pail Kids is also like 
like that's hilarious to watch in like a Doug Benson interruptions scenario with a packed audience of people who are high and just like laughing at it and whatever. But like that movie's borders on unwatchable. Like it is so bad. So Howard the Duck is is pretty good. Like it's just I feel bad that it has such a terrible re- reputation. Uh, uh, my wife and I recently rewatched the movie Ishtar, which I feel like if you're of a certain age and pay attention to movies, like that was the big punchline, huge bomb movie. Yeah. Cause that was also like tied up in like movie star egos. Cause that's just like a comedy. This is Howard the Duck at least has awesome special effects. Yeah. Ishtar for those who don't know is just a Warren Beatty, Dustin Hoffman comedy. Like there's no, they went to like Africa and there's like a couple explosions in it, but like it's, it's a movie that should not have cost much of anything. Yeah. And it was also one of the most expensive movies ever made when it came out. Uh, watching that one, I'm like, this movie is not good. It's like way too long. Most of the jokes are horrible. That one at least does know its audience. It's aimed at adults. And it's just like, like comparing those, I'm like, Howard the Duck should not be remembered as one of the, the great turkeys of the 1980s. Because uh, it it's it, it mostly works. Worse, sorry, I was gonna say it's worse than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but it's not like that much worse, you know. As a guy who's not really a turtles guy, I would probably take it over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, interesting. Although I don't disagree. I I understand. I agree with you that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles technically is a better movie. And I think that movie works because it fully understands what audience it's aiming right. at and goes for it. Yes. And like th- th- it hits that mark. Uh, as we've said numerous times, Howard's just kind of like, a co- it's confused. Well, and I think, and I don't even, I'm not a, a Turtles person either, but I believe if I remember from the cartoon, there is a human female. In, yes. okay, and so none of the Turtles are getting weird with her. No. So that there's that. <laughs> and even even if they're kind of like acting like, oh, you, wow, you know, whatever. She's so pretty. She's not into that. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the key component right. yeah. that I think makes things weird, but also so fascinating about Howard. But uh, it is fascinating. I think that's how I would describe Howard the Duck. Yeah. It's fascinating. I think. Fully think it is a fascinating movie, and it's an enjoyable movie. Like I, I, I was happy to watch it again. Will I watch it again someday? Probably, but it will probably be another, you know, decade you know what? from I've, now. I never thought I would, but now, now I'm like, I, I bet I'll watch this again in like ten years. There's some good stuff there. There, I mean, there is. Like, I mean, that like the effects, and you know, just I, and I really, I'm with Sebastian. Like, I really enjoy the first act. I enjoy. Howard trying to acclimate to life on earth and like, you know, poor Howard getting a hot tub fever. I, I could watch like a whole segment more of that, like his life at the hot tub fever, the gross oh. sex spa or what other jobs he gets into. You know, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm here for that part too. It's, it's a good the movie time. was like just one hair away from him, like being the, uh, boom operator on a porno no. shoot yeah. or something yeah. like yeah that would have been the next thing we had to do after yeah. hot tub fever that's where you go after hot tub fever yeah josh we're all excited for sonic 2 we Woo! know that you, Thank you. you yeah. turn you and pat turned in the script start shooting in uh like three weeks that's awesome. insane wow yay fast tracking that shit yeah 
up in Vancouver where thankfully they took COVID a little more seriously Good. early on. Good. So, All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go practice my uh, quack foo and uh, hit my – Hit my shift at a a hot tub fever. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm going to go bust out my issue of play duck. (laughs) I need to go fish some duck condoms out of the hot tub. (laughs) That about does it today for tentpole trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.